Good morning. For those of you joining us online, or for those of you who may be guests here this morning, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, normally you would see me up here weekly, but uh, my wife and I, thanks to your generosity, had a chance to get away uh, for two weeks in Florida. We spent a couple of days at a Disney resort. We didn't go into the parks. Um, it's kind of strange down there right now. You can go to the parks, but you have to reserve your spot in the park, not just buy a ticket because they only allow so many people in. But we had a couple of days there. We spent uh, three days, three nights with my dad's widow. I can't call her my stepmom. She's only eight years older than I am. Um, it was really nice to spend time with her. That'll be the last time we're down there because she'll be moving up to Kentucky uh, to be with her daughter and grandkids uh, next spring. And then we had a friend of ours has a place on Siesta Key that he let us use for free. So we spent seven days there. I will tell you this, those of you who... Uh, who, who, who know me well and know what the last year has been from the um, death of my dad and the polymyalgia rheumatica that I've been suffering through, the pain. It was exactly the same trip last year as this year and the difference in my ability to walk and to move and to sleep was night and day. So it's not all the way gone, but it is, it is that close. So I spent a lot of time walking. Lynn loves to walk. I like Lynn. Uh, so every night on Siesta Key, we would walk to dinner early because we, we weren't eating anything until dinner time so that we could splurge. And so we'd walk to dinner, have dinner, and then walk back on the beach to see the sunset. And last year with the hills and the curbs and all that kind of stuff, I spent my whole week on those walks kind of talking to myself. And maybe some of you have this feeling like, just don't fall, just don't fall, just don't fall. And I didn't have to do any of that this year. So I would just spend a week of gratitude to God for the healing that has taken place. Just wanted you to be aware. Um, for those of you who ask, yeah, thank you. Thank him. Um, so uh, today we are in an, un an unusual passage for public worship. We're going to be reading, and that's the only thing we're going to be reading, the genealogy of Jesus in the gospel according to Matthew. Um, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on it, uh, and then we're going to read it, and then we'll talk about why this is in the Word of God, why it's important, and why it's actually kind of exciting for, hopefully, for people other than Bible nerds like me. So I'm going to hit my timer, let's offer a prayer, and we'll go to it. Almighty God, we bless you, and thank you, praise you for who you are, for what you do for us, in us, and even through us. Lord, there are, there are people on our staff, there are people in our midst, uh, in our congregation, there are people all around this community that are sick. Um, we had a death yesterday, and we only got a, a, about a day warning. So, Lord, there is a lot of cheer and a lot of sorrow. There is joy and grieving. Lord, we ask that you join us in this. I think that this, the Matthew's gospel is perfect for right now. And I ask that you give me the words to say, the way to say them, and I only want to speak what's true from you. Uh, so if there's something I plan to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. But Lord, if there's something you want said or some connection I haven't made in prayer and study that you want to make this morning, make it burn within me and I will speak your word to your people. And for all of us, Lord, it's not my message for them, it's your message for us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see hear and receive. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Okay, a little background on the first Christmas. There was a guy that, when Jesus entered the, the, the earth, when he 
when he became flesh, when he became Emmanuel, he became the incarnate deity, whatever, whatever terminology you want to put on it, um, there was something going on in the known world at the time. It was something called Pax Romana. And Caesar Augustus was primarily responsible for holding, Pax means peace, the Roman peace. So this, this Greco-Roman empire had spread across the known world. And Caesar Augustus was a very powerful, powerful leader. And he held the peace tightly. So sometimes he was brutal. Sometimes he, was, um, he seemed kind of gracious. But, but the whole kingdom, the, the, the idea that there was peace, that roads had been built across Asia and Europe and Asia Minor, um, all of that stuff was, was significant. And, and the fact that God chose to bring his son at that time there's much going on, not just so that the gospel could spread because the, the Roman roads had been put up all over the place. So when Paul started running around the known world with the gospel, um, there were roads to get there. There were connections to be made. There were ports to come to and all of that kind of stuff that, that would not have been possible just a couple of hundred years before. But what was happening is Caesar Augustus was growing old and his physical prowess was diminishing. And because his spiritual prowess was diminishing, rumbling started popping up all around the known world. Some people were, uh-oh, the peace is going to go away. We like it like it is. Others were, well, we just have a couple more years to wait, and then we can rebel, or we can take our area and push back and try to go off independent. And others were clamoring for, some were afraid of a civil war, and others were clamoring for it. And then you find this little spot over in Israel occupied by the Romans. And uh, 50 to 100 years before Jesus shows up, so in that intertestamental period between Malachi and, and, and the Gospels, between Jesus entering the world in the first century, um, there was this sense of, from the, the, the Jewish people, like, we don't like this. And so you got the zealots that are like, we're, we're going we're gonna to push hard. We're going we're gonna to rebel. There's going to be a civil war. You've got the Pharisees who, who kind of liked the, the system. They had their authority and they worked okay with the, uh, worked okay with the Roman rule. They didn't love it, but they, it, their power was kind of secure for their own people. And the Sadducees were a bit along the same line. Then you had the people that had kind of completely separated themselves called the Essenes. And they had, they had gone off to kind of preserve the holiness of what it means to be God's people. So all of this is going on. There's peace. There's turmoil, there's waiting, there's anxiety, and then suddenly was born a challenger to the throne of Caesar. Now, he didn't challenge the throne of Caesar the way his people expected him to. But he came into a time of peace, prosperity, and anxiety. The first Christmas, peace, anxiety, turmoil, concern. Sound familiar to today? There's general peace, but some are expecting a civil war. There is a civil war going on culturally, and there are some that really want to push back, others that want to push against those who want to push back. It seems kind of apropos that the first Christmas, Jesus entered the world in a condition that this Christmas, Jesus He's been here a long time, don't hear me wrong, but Jesus enters the world in a similar fashion. I want you to know what Matthew's doing with this genealogy. There's something, we talked the first week of Advent, if you remember, and I don't expect you to, because it was a, it's kind of a, a, an obscure um, 
promise and prophecy, but, but there was hope that the people hung on to that there would be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. And David was the king that everyone loved, even though he had sinned. He had, been, he, had, he had caused one person to be murdered, and he had taken a wife that wasn't his, or he had taken a woman that wasn't his wife but belonged to the guy that he had killed. Uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't, he wasn't always good. He was a flawed man like all of us. But David was seen as a warrior king. David was seen as the one that everybody wanted to be like. And there was a promise that someone... Would all, someone from David's line would always sit on David's throne. But there had been no kings for a long time in Israel. But they held on to that hope that one day God is going to restore David's line, that one would sit on his throne forever. And we know that promise to be kept in the person of Jesus. But the people hearing the gospel for the first time in the first century didn't necessarily know that. The other thing that they didn't know or they didn't necessarily anticipate was that when Jesus entered the world, so this book was written 55 to 62 AD. Um, so it was after Jesus had lived and died and, and had descended to hell and resurrected from the dead and ascended to the Father. But the church had just taken off, but people needed to know. people needed to know about the person of Jesus Christ. Because people knew a bit about the church, but there were 12 people, 12 men, one who had hanged himself and then had been replaced. And there were the group of, of, like, you've got the inner circle, you've got the outer circle. That's not enough. Now, obviously, Pentecost had taken place, all that kind of stuff at the, at the authorship of this book. But, but some of the things that people were hanging on to were good, they were hanging on to the fact that Jesus was the, the shoot that had come from the stump of Jesse, but they were forgetting another whole part of God's promises to the world. And Matthew enters. Now, Matthew, is a, he, he was kind of an obscure disciple. He, he, his name was uh, Matthew Levi, and he was, he was a tax collector, so he's really good at keeping records. And you see that in this genealogy. But, but Matthew, if you were going to pick one to be the, the first gospel that you start the New Testament with, if you were going to pick a, an apostle, you'd pick Peter or John, maybe Andrew or James. But Matthew's not the one. He's hardly ever mentioned in the scriptures until he writes this book. But, but he, he's, he's a detailed accountant type, and he keeps good records. And he wanted to communicate. In the very first line, he wanted to communicate that not only is Jesus the son of David, but he comes from Abraham. What's the difference? David was the king of Israel. But the promise made to Abraham was that he and his offspring would be a blessing to every people, every nation. So that's why Matthew, the last thing we hear from Jesus in the gospel of Matthew is, is the great commission. Go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. So from the very beginning, the very first line of this gospel, Matthew is letting the Jewish people and the Gentile people who are reading this Jewish gospel know that it is not just for the Jews. It is for all. And it reads like this, and then, trust me, folks, 
I'm going to stumble on some of these names. Um, but a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Not one, but both. And by the way, the word genealogy there, we kind of know genealogy is like the family tree. But genealogy in, in Greek, which was translated from Hebrew, is Genesis. The beginning of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed and uh, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Notice they won't even say Bathsheba there, because traditionally she was not seen as a woman of high acclaim. They kind of blamed her often for David's sin when he had all the power and she did not. But nevertheless, she's not named, but she kind of is. Solomon, the father of this is the one. Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeho Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to ba Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. We're getting, we're getting there. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Now, a couple of things about that real quick. 14, 14, 14. 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, and then Jesus. He's the seventh, seventh. Matthew's being very careful there. Because seven and seven, perfect numbers, being the seventh, seventh, it's like the year of Jubilee. It's like the, a, a Sabbath year is every seven years, but the seventh, seventh year is the year of Jubilee where people don't plant, people don't harvest, and they trust in God to provide for up to three seasons of harvest, the harvest and, and, and the planting and harvest cycle. So Matthew, if you, if you look, if you go back to, to Chronicles and you look at the other genealogies, many of which you can find in here, you, you will see that there are more than 14, 14, 14 generations. And if you count the names in here, this is just Bible nerd stuff, just for a second. If you count the names in here, you'll see that there are only 41 names. Jehoiah is mentioned twice. 
Just so you know, there's a little, that, that Jeconiah went into Babylon. Babylon, they came out and it's Jeconiah again. Well, they were in Babylon for 72 years. The same Jeconiah was not the Jeconiah that went in, that came out. Um, Hebrew uses the same word for Jeconiah, Jehoiakim. Um, and and, and we're, we're certain that those are two different people. But here's one thing that's really kind of technically cool. That the Jeconiah coming out of Babylon was such an evil man that God cursed him and said, no one from your lineage will ever sit on the throne of David. So how is it if Jesus is part of his lineage, how is it that he can sit on the throne of David? If God curses and he says never, never will be the case. Well, if you look at Luke's gospel, and I'm not expecting you to do that right now, Luke has a genealogy as well. Matthew goes from Abraham to Jesus, Luke goes from Jesus and then Mary, and he goes all the way back to Adam. So here's the cool thing that we may not know about Jesus and his lineage from David and his right to the throne of God so that, God's, that one of God's people, one of David's descendants will sit on the throne forever. You notice that Jesus here is listed as the son of Joseph, but he's an adopted son. He didn't come from Joseph. He came from the Holy Spirit. Mary, though, also tied back in her lineage to David. Not exactly, not the same, but so in, 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 the, in the genealogy according to Matthew, Jesus has a legal right to the throne, not a bloodline right to the throne. But from Mary... It's blood-related, but it comes through the, the mother and not through the father. So even in that little silly, kind of nuanced, detailed, Bible nerd kind of thing, God is making sure that he is consistent in all of his blessings and curses on both sides of Jesus' lineage. So why this thing? Well, a couple of things. Number one, this genealogy is full of, this is a dysfunctional family tree. You have a prostitute in Jesus' lineage, and you never highlighted women in a genealogy. It was always the fathers and the sons. The other thing that we can see here is that if you go back to, to Chronicles and you read these genealogies, Matthew skips some people. But we have to remember that in the Old Testament, one of the things they were trying to do is to help people memorize things. So they pick, pick people of significance and so, like, my great-great-grandfather or my great-great-grandfather might be said to have begotten me, even though it wasn't, I wasn't a first generation. I might be a second or third generation. So some of that happens here, but it's, it's interesting that when Matthew begins his gospel, that he doesn't highlight the significant people on the good side of things. He highlights both. So you have, you have Bathsheba, who's not named, but she did not have a good reputation with the people of God. You have Tamar, who fooled her father-in-law into giving her a ch children and was considered righteous for it. You have Ruth, who, 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 for all intents and purposes, was a Moabite, not even a Jewish person. And then you have good king, evil king, good king, evil king, good king, evil king. So what is it that we're supposed to derive from that? That Jesus, becoming fully human, is entering the world just like you and me. With a heritage, a background, a family tree that may be less than stellar. Is he royal? Yes. Is his family flawed for 3, 14, or 14, 14, 14, and then Jesus? 
yes. What this genealogy does that we might miss is that it roots the gospel in history. Matthew is saying to the known world, the birth of Jesus happened. And it happened before him. This is the beginning of Jesus Christ, and then he talks about Abraham all the way down. He calls him Jesus Christ. He calls him in, 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 in Greek, that would be Jesus Christos. And in Hebrew, it would be Yeshua Messiah. We kind of think of Jesus and Christ. Jesus being first name, Christ being last name. It's not the case. Jesus is his given name. Christ, anointed one, is his title. It's what he accomplished. It's what God the Father said, this is who you will be. So he had, it's, it's Jehovah or Yahweh saves as Jesus and then anointed of God. It was often said of kings. This rooted in history, and I'll put it like this, and I've got some people, I, got, I did this a couple of years ago, and some people wrote me some emails, they didn't like it, um, and that's okay. But what this is telling us is the gospel, the beginning of the gospel, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not even recorded here yet, but the birth of Jesus Christ is good news. It's not good advice. The difference between news and advice is advice is how you might handle something that may come to be. What's news, news is supposed to be about something, event, notable events, weather, and sports is where we got the word news. News is about what has happened. And our world today likes to say that, this, that Jesus didn't live. And if he did, he was just a good man. And if he did, it was just for these people, for that time, and this way. That's not what Matthew's saying. Matthew is saying, this is good news. It's not good advice. This happened. It happened, and we can trace his lineage all the way back to the very first covenant that God orchestrated outside of the Garden of Eden that he orchestrated with his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. And more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky will be your people. And every people group, every nation and tongue will be blessed because of you, Abraham. Jesus is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of David. He's a king, he's a prophet, and he's a priest. He intercedes for us, between us and God, and he pleads our case. He rules over our hearts, our minds, and our wills as king. And he tells us the truth of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son as prophet. There is no doubt what Matthew's intent was. He even went so far as to use 14, and if you take David's name, the consonants from David's name, because in Hebrew, uh, they, didn't have, they didn't have vowels. They had what we call pointing, just little dots that tell you how to pronounce things. Um, but if you take the, 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 the consonants of the name David, the numerical value of those consonants is 14. He's trying on all different levels to say, 
All the things we've been promised, all the things we've been hoping for, all the things that are claimed about Jesus, all of them are true. But he may not look the way you want him to look. He might not be the person you want him to be. So listen closely and see how he came to be, the circumstances of that first Christmas in the first few years of his life, his escape to Egypt, his return, his temptation by the devil himself, his teaching, his healing, his casting out of demons, his 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 taking on the establishment religion of the time, even his willingness to take on the Herodians, which were the people that were for Herod. And, and he, he's going to be political. He's going to be spiritual. He's going to be human. So read carefully. The people of God had no hope. And they clung to one thing. They were, they were under Roman rule. They had no rights of their own. They allowed them to be little monotheistic group over here as long as they didn't push back too hard. And if they did, they killed them. But some of those folks were like, no, we're taking them down and we're waiting for our Messiah to take them down. And the Messiah shows up and he doesn't do what either Caesar Augustus or Herod or any of them think. And he doesn't do what most of the Jewish people think. He does what God wants. So just as he entered the world 2019 to 21 years ago, he's still in that world, and he's still the same person. He's still doing the same things, and he still wants from us the same response. See, when he connected with Adam and Eve in the garden, and they fell, and you go through all the rebellions of Genesis 1 through 6 and even into the, up to the um, Tower of Babel. And then you see God interact with Abraham, and he makes a promise to him. Same promise that he had made to Adam and Eve, he just did it in a different way. And then you see all the destruction, all the glory, all the, 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 the times that God showed up when he showed up to Moses and to rescue the people from, from Egypt when he, when he sent, when, even when God sent them into Babylon again for another 72 years and he brought them back over and over and over again. God has been working it within history to bring about his plan. And I want you to know, folks, as difficult and frustrating as it may be right now, his plan A from Abraham is still his plan A today. There is no plan B. He's not going to change it. He's not going to do something different. He's not going to require something different of you, although what we think he expects of us might be different than what he actually expects of us. So he begins his gospel by saying, David and Abraham. And the last thing Jesus says in the gospel according to Matthew is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go into all the world baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. Does God have all authority in heaven and on earth? Yeah, that's not changing. Is Jesus the holder? Does he sit at the right hand of, the, uh, of God, the Father Almighty? Is he the king of the Jews and the king of the world? Yes. He has all authority. When he speaks, things happen. And what he wants to have happen, his will will be done. And just as he said to Abraham, just as he said to Moses, just as he said to Joshua, just as he said to everyone since then, do my 
will. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He is hope. He brings joy. He shows love. And he uses us to communicate. And I don't mean by that just with sound. He uses us to communicate his peace to the world. You'll remember that in one of the other gospels, when the angels show up, what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to humanity because God's favor rests on them. The whole gospel in Luke begins with a proclamation of peace and a statement that God favors humanity. Why? Because he made us in his image. And as much as we've drifted over the millennia, we're drifting like crazy today. His plan is still plan A. There will never be a plan B. And he chooses, the supernatural vehicle he chooses to bring hope, joy, love, and peace to a world that is broken and afraid and has no idea who he is. That supernatural vehicle is what we call the church. And you're a part of that. So go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything he's taught you because all authority in heaven and earth has been given him. What is Christmas? Christmas is God showing his power through the powerlessness of an infant. God shows his power through the obedience of a 13-year-old girl who's never kissed a boy. The first Christian on the planet is Mary. She's the first person to be obedient to God in relationship to Christ. Can we be that humble? Can we be that willing? Are we capable? Do we even desire to say yes, Lord, even when it looks crazy? Because you heard from Pastor Doug about Mary. You heard from Pastor Chris about Joseph. It looked crazy. Why would they do that? Why would they believe that an angel had come? Why would they believe? Because there's no plan B. So Jesus has things to ask you. Will you be my disciple? I'll make you fishers of men. And keep in mind what happens to a fish when it's caught. Life is destroyed. I will help you destroy the lives of people in a glorious and wonderful way. Plan A is that everybody dies and is raised again in Christ. Plan A is that every person on the planet, the desire of God, every, his desire for every person, he's not going to force it, not everybody's going to be saved, but his desire for every person on the planet is that they are in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. So to get rid of our own wills and say, yes, Lord, your will, not mine. That has been from the beginning and it will be till the end of the age when Jesus makes all things right and all things new. Now on Friday and Saturday this week, we will talk about Matthew's version of the Christmas story, the infancy narrative. And on Sunday, we'll start moving through the gospel according to Matthew. But today, I wanted to remind you 
that this boring passage of a list of names, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, all has a purpose. And it's because it makes the gospel good news. It, it solidifies it and places it at a point in history to say this happened. It's not just, let's all be nice to each other. It's the God of the universe entered human form to show us who he is and to help us see whose we are. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you. May we be like even the magi, the, 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 the astrologer magicians from the east who came bearing gifts and worshiped your son. Lord, help us as we sing, as we pray for those who are hurting later on in the service. Lord, please, please enter our lives as you entered as a child. Show us that even, that even today you show your strength through our weakness. Help us represent you well, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. We pray this in the name of Jesus, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.